a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. To see, to see the face of God is to be destroyed. So God now veils himself in, in the flesh and blood of Jesus, and he uses that, those means, namely his flesh and his blood, his life and, and his death, he uses those means to save us. And when we were baptized at the font with God's name placed upon us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, with the sign of the cross being placed upon our forehead and our hearts marking as ones redeemed. We were adopted as sons of God. Uh, I think. Oh, huh? 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 Oh, oh. Are we doing the show now? Is the theme over? Breaking nuisance ordinances everywhere. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> oh, and yeah, we're back. We're back. Another edition. And uh, new games. You know what I think we need more of is games that have the rules of the game in the title. Oh, you, yeah? You think we could think up some of those? Yeah. Uh, so what is our new game is Name That Part of the Liturgy. Now, how does that work? And that's a game where we name a part of the liturgy. <laughs> I like it so far. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're going to play another game, which is called Bumper Sticker Theology, where we talk about the theology in the bumper sticker. And also the game Buzzwords, where we talk about buzzwords. Oh, hey. Maybe the game should be Talk About Buzzwords. <laughs> See how that would be? It'd be uh, Say a Buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start with Say a Buzzword. My buzzword for you is Reformed. Now, this is an interesting word, I think, an interesting theological word. Because it's used by a lot of Lutherans basically to mean anybody who's not Lutheran. <laughs> well, and not Catholic. Anyone not Catholic or Lutheran. So, and, but that's a bit of a sloppy use of the word Reformed. Um, the, it, in fact, um, the Reformed generally means, it should probably mean to us, those who have inherited the, the theology of John Calvin. So um, the Reformed would be like the Presbyterian Church, in some ways the Anglican Church, and the churches who call themselves the Reformed Churches. <laughs> and those are the, um, the ones who can trace their theological lineage to Calvin hmm. and the Council of Dort, which if I was going to name a council, that's what I would name it, by the way. You're a dork. Just to make sure nobody nobody took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my uh, theological buzzword is... I don't know what's worse is worms or dort, but neither one of them is very good. Rapture is your theological oh, nice. buzzword. Now, there's two definitions uh, to this word. At least there is according to tabletalkradio.org, which is huh. um, the almost infallible dictionary of theological it, words. Almost inerrant. The almost Nowhere inerrant. Nowhere near infallible, but almost inerrant. <laughs> Well, I mean, anything that's almost inerrant means that it isn't inerrant. <laughs> or something that's Errant. almost infallible means that it is fallible. Fallible, <laughs> right. Anyway. Oh, you make a good point. So you... <laughs> it's like almost being married or almost being pregnant. Right. Uh, so I have uh, two definitions for you, and you have the task, Pastor Wolfmiller, for three points. Uh, I'll give you 3.4 points if you can tell me which definition is the... Biblical view of rapture. Number one, is it definition number one? 
The Secret Taking of Christians to Heaven Before the Seven-Year Tribulation? Or is it two, those who are living on the last day when Christ returns to judge the quick and the dead? Uh, yes, the second one is the true one. Is that what I'm supposed to say? What's true? Mm-hmm. I wasn't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the second one is true. The rapture of the the rapture is the resurrection of the living. How the those who are alive at the second coming are uh, transferred into their resurrected bodies without the experience of death. There you have it. So Pastor Wolfner on the board early in the game, three point four table talk radio points to his name. Whoa. So good Got job. It. Uh, I logged those here. Let's head into the email. Uh, We got an email here. It's from, let's see who wrote this. You should tell everybody what the email address is first. Talkback at issuesetc.org. No. No. Studio at piratechristianradio.org. No. No. Okay, never mind. Just lie down before you hurt yourself. Uh, you're looking for questions at tabletalkradio.org. Huh, there you go. Uh, Peter writes, he has a link to a Desiring God article called The Greatest Thing You Could Do Today, and he says this. Hey, is this mysticism? Still trying to figure out what is and what isn't. Also, have you thought of using the riff from Use Me by Bill Withers as a bump? It will make the show go from a 1 on a scale of 1 to 10 to a solid 1.5. Trust me. Peter. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. We'll do it. We'll get it on there. I just do it. No, really. It's okay. We'll do it. It's fine. My friends. Here's the article by Francis Chan. You want it? You got it there? The greatest thing you could do today? I'll read a couple of lines. I think I, I already that... think that this is um, probably pretty good because it has a picture of him. In a pretty tight shirt with that uh, microphone that goes over the ear and just kind of the, the yeah. flesh-toned wire that comes to the mouth. I, I think mm-hmm. that is a criteria for something good. So I'm expecting the best here. <laughs> he writes, imagine walking up a mountain alone, but it's no ordinary mountain. The ground beneath you is shaking. The entire mountain is covered in smoke. At its peak is a thick cloud with lightning and thunder. God descends onto the mountain in fire, and each time you speak to him, he responds in thunder. That's what Moses experienced in Exodus 19. Now, compare that experience to your last time in prayer. Hmm. Distracted, obligatory, ordinary. I doubt any such words came across Moses' mind as he ascended the mountain. But some 3,000 years later, we rarely marvel that God permits imperfect humans into his presence. How did the shocking become so ordinary to us? Is it even possible for our experiences with God to be that fascinating? Interesting. So the assumption that is behind this is the assumption that um, praying is coming into the presence of God, I think, isn't mm-hmm. it? So so mm-hmm. um, one could hold to the belief <laughs> that prayer is speaking to God, and because he knows all things, uh, he we need not be drawn into a experience with him or even a mountain with him, but because he knows even our thoughts and knows what we pray for, uh, we could say that prayer is simply speaking to God in words or thoughts. Um, but but that is probably not the definition that Francis Chan is operating with. Prayer, for him, is an experience where you are drawn into the presence of God. Right. 
That's right. So that Moses standing there in the clouds is the prototypical picture of prayer. Right? You got it? Got now, it. So the question that we have to ask is, is that mysticism? But I, I've, I'm, I'm looking for a verse. I've I got to find it. But you, you want a little, a couple more lines from Francis Chan to help you with this thing? Heck yeah, I do. What do you think? When I, was, when I was 15 years old, my youth pastor taught me how to pray and read the Bible alone. Now more than 30 years later, I still can't find a better way to start my days. I can't imagine what my life would be like if I didn't refocus daily by going up the mountain. It is alone with him that I empty myself of pride, lies, and stress. First, pride. Standing before a person clothed in inapproachable light has the way of humbling you. Second, lies. Speaking to an all-knowing judge tends to induce honesty. And third, stress. Kneeling before God, the God who causes men to fail or succeed, replaces our anxiety with peace. Interesting. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this de- desiring God thing, except that it's um, coming a little popular. I think it's a reform deal. I'm not really sure. But Hey, I got you, buzzword. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to sneak it he by you. tried to sneak it by. Oh. All right, I'm going to give you 3.5 points. <laughs> Who's in the lead? You. Yeah, that's right. Um, so well, I think we've talked about before on uh, on this show how when you take away the means of grace, then you have to replace it with something. Have we said that before on this show? So, um, mm-hmm. so, so mm-hmm. someone who who understands the Bible as it's taught uh, understands what baptism is. That is uh, God's. Uh, conferring the forgiveness of sins through water and the word, and someone who reads the Bible rightly about the Lord's Supper and sees that it is Christ's true body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine uh, where he bestows the forgiveness of sins. If I have that in my theology, then I know the place I go to to receive peace, the forgiveness of sins. It's where uh, baptism is offered and where the Lord's Supper is administered. But if you take that away you all of a sudden have to replace the sacraments with something else. And one of the most common um, replacements for the sacraments is experience, or um, in this case, it's experience through prayer. So now prayer becomes the new sacrament, um, that I have an intimate time with Jesus, usually the way it's it's, it's described. Um, and, And in all of this is to invoke a feeling where I know that I have peace with God, I'm right with him, because I can't trust the means of grace that he's provided. Yes, that's right. So that's a difference. Now, the question that we have to ask, is that mysticism? Ah, um, okay, so tell you what, why don't you take 30 seconds to describe what mysticism is, and we'll answer the question on the other side of the break. Okay, so mysticism is the, the, the teaching or the doctrine that sets people in motion towards a a direct and internal and immediate, so unmediated, experience with the divine presence. So that push towards that is how we define mysticism. So rather than pushing people towards the external word, we're pushing them towards the internal experience. All right, and then when we get back from this break, we'll ask the question, is this article mysticism? We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new
most persevering listeners in radio. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Back here on Table Talk Radio, we are Whoa. responding to this article. Great bumps we've got. <laughs> like I said, you know, one of the things I liked about the way we've been doing Table Talk Radio, recording without the yep. bumps, is that yeah. you don't sing along. But now you're singing along when there's no music. <laughs> My friends, bum, bum. Think it's their appointed duty. Anyway, we're... someone's got to bring in some style around here. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're reading this article called "The Greatest Thing You Could Do Today," and I think the answer to that question is to go to Mount Sinai. Is that right? Is that be the? Yeah, it's wild. Now, here I want to I want to point something out to, to that from the text. You know, the Bible, the text of the Bible. Uh, it's really interesting that when we look at Exodus twenty. That the Ten Commandments that are there are—that's the only t- the only time that God speaks directly to the people. So every other time, Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy, when God speaks—at least that I've seen—I've looked at this, so I think I'm right on this. If someone has a correction, please let me know. When God speaks, it's to Moses or to Moses and Aaron or to or to Aaron a couple of times, just Aaron by himself. There's only one time that the Lord speaks openly to the people, and it's when He gives them the Ten Commandments. And the result is—listen to this. Uh, let's see. Uh, and all the people, this is Exodus 20, verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed. That means they, they backed up, they backpedaled and they stood far off. And they said unto Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. In other words, the people say to Moses, hey, hey, we're not coming up the mountain with you. That's some crazy stuff that God is saying there. Because remember, the law always accuses. Now, we might say, if we were Francis Chan or just people reading the Bible, that the people there were faithless because they didn't, um, because they didn't want to go up the mountain with Moses. But let me read you another text. This is Deuteronomy chapter, or sorry, yeah, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 28. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Go near, hear all that the Lord God shall say, and speak you to us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto us, and we will hear it and do it. So this is repeating what the uh, what the people said to Moses, and Moses is recounting this. And then here's what God thought about it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of the people which they have spoken unto thee. They have spoken well in everything that they have spoken. Hmm. In, in other words, the people said, hey, Moses, you go up the mountain and you talk to God and you bring God's word to us. We're not going on the mountain. And the Lord says, you know, that's right. The well people said. are right when they <laughs> said that. Now, this is why when we get to the New Testament, for example, in Hebrews, that we're going to see a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, where the Lord has placed himself to give us access, and he has put himself a mediator there. 
And it says, we have not come to Mount Sinai, but we've come to the Mount Zion. Oh, I got to find it. Uh, and, and it says where we where we enter with boldness because of the blood of Jesus. Mm. So so using the a picture of Mount Sinai for the picture of prayer is at the very beginning an unbiblical move. OK, it's, it's a wrong use of the text. So um, and you're going to take us to Hebrews to, to prove that point. But um, the question that the emailer had for us, I think his name was Peter, was, is huh? this mysticism? And you define mysticism before the break as uh, a connection with God. I wasn't really listening, so I'll make a new definition up. Uh, the connection with God through the emotions, unmediated, uh, looking for God on the inside rather than on the outside. Uh, so is this mysticism? It is. And basically, if you hear anything by anyone but a Lutheran, chances are about 99% that it's mysticism. And if you hear a Lutheran talking, it's probably about 75% it's mysticism. So, but if, you're not, if you're not sure, you can just basically guess, and you'll probably be right. Now, is, does that support my uh, thesis earlier that uh, mysticism comes as a result of not having the sacraments? So the sacraments oh, yeah. that would be like the... Uh, the the mysticism seatbelt you know without the seatbelt you go flying into mysticism but the the sacraments are what hold you into the into the into the car or whatever yeah that's right that, that the sacraments are the only way to have a, a theological sobriety otherwise you're in the <laughs> drunken stupor of mysticism that's 100% right that's a little and, bit and, and there's a and, and for and a reason there's a reason for that and it is because it is precisely through the external word and, and, and that word also bound up to water and bound up to the body and blood of Jesus that the Lord comes to us. That's the that's the whole point. So that mysticism is nothing other than a rejection of the external word. It's it's so that I mean, it's not only a seatbelt, it's 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 by definition. Good. So prove it from Hebrews. Well, I'm still looking. I, I left my Bible at home. You know how you know where things yes, are on the in page. Fact, I was just Bible? thinking where it is on my Bible, but I don't have it here in front of me either. So I got this, I got this, the Bible, I got, it's a great Bible. It's King James, has the Book of Common Prayer in the front of it. It's kind of nice, but I just can't, I, it takes me forever. So I, I think I'll I remember this, where you, so Hebrews twelve twenty two is where you're looking for. Go okay, ahead. okay, thank you. Uh, I'll flip it over. So it says here, um, uh, it says, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly fearful and I'm shaking, but you are come to Mount Zion. Under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So that, so that our prayer is not going up Mount Sinai, but it's going up Mount Zion. It's going to, to Christ, who sits at the throne of God, where we enter, we're bold to enter his throne room and offer our petitions through his flesh, that is, through the Lord's Supper, through the washing of the water, that is, baptism, and through his word, so that when we have, when we have the Lord's word and especially his promise, we are made bold to pray. Ah, good stuff. Okay, yep. now we're going to do a little bit of bumper sticker and church sign theology. Uh, oh, yeah, you, that sounds like fun. If you have any bumper stickers or church signs you want us to um, tackle, then just give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA. 1-800-385-7652 is the number. And uh, here's the first one. Are you ready, Pastor Wolfman? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm ready. Hey, Board this ready. is David in Houston. I've got a bumper sticker for you. This is on the back of an Acura RSX 
It says, cats humor us because they know that their ancestors ate ours. Hey, I think we've heard that one before. Well, maybe we get to do it again. <laughs> Better the second time. It's like Saint, what St. Saint Paul says. For me to stir you up by way of remembrance is no burden to me, and it's good for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stirring about, us up then? by way of remembrance, I'm sure what we said last time is that this comes from a evolutionary standpoint. You know what I think about evolution? You know what I think about it? That evolution is, is um, philosophical stink that we do not smell anymore. I mean, I think that 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 the evolution has such profound effect on the way that we think about the world that we don't even notice it. And and the 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 way that that comes out is this. God has set us to live in an ordered world. You know, ordered according to his word, ordered according to his act of creation, ordered according to the peace of the let there be of Genesis 1. And yet evolution would say that none of that exists, that we live in a world of chaos that's ruled by power. We have the will to power and the will to pleasure, and those are the things that motivate and drive every action of every person. And that it seeps into our minds so much is that we're, we're almost blind to God's ordering of the world. Here, I got a thought experiment. Do we have time for a thought experiment? Sure. Well, maybe. So I met... <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how fast you think. Two minutes. Imagine that you that you wake up. Oh, that's plenty of time. You wake up tomorrow morning. Are you with me? It's tomorrow morning, and um and you uh, you go and you look at the clock there on the nightstand, but the but the numbers are all blurred. There's no number there at all. So you turn off the clock and and you go and you get in the car and you turn the car on and you look and the gas gauge is there, but the E and the F are are blurry. And you're wondering what's going on, and you drive down the street, and the sign at the end of the street, it, it's a stop sign, but the words are fuzzy. It doesn't say stop on it. And, and you start to realize, this is kind of really weird, that, that all the words in all the world are blurred. You go to the grocery store, and the same thing. So here's, a, here's the milk carton, and, but the word milk is blurry. And the word orange juice on the orange juice is just, it's a, in other words, every, it, so you imagine as, as you look around that every single word in the whole world is blurry. Now, now you could probably get, and when you try to go and write a word down, nothing comes, it just writes blur. In other words, there's no word at all. Now, you would probably be able to get, you know, you'd be able to drive to church and you'd be able to buy the stuff at the grocery store. Although it'd be really tough because you couldn't see the numbers and the costs and everything. But imagine if that just went on for a couple of days. I mean, the first time you tried to go find someone's house that you've never been to, you get totally lost because you can't see the street names. And and when you, you know, you try to go to the bathroom, you don't know which bathroom to go into because there's no, yeah, I see, uh-huh. there's no, <laughs> there's no word on the outside of the bathroom. And, and when there's no word, then the world would start to devolve into this chaos that there, that, 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 that there couldn't be, uh, you know, there couldn't be money, there couldn't be banks, there couldn't be stores. It just starts to fall, the order of the world starts to fall apart. Well, this is what evolution does with our understanding of creation. There's no word behind it. And so we just start to devolve into this chaotic uh, understanding of, of the world and of life. See, I don't, me on that? I don't think that we've done this one before because I would have remembered that. <laughs> All right, we need to take a break and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for 
Table Talk Radio. We love our on-demand listener. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. been driving in a car and with nothing to do you think you know we should invent some new games well that is part of the daily life of pastor brian wolfmiller and he has come to us hey, with that, a new game that didn't happen this time this this uh is from a listener oh it is never mind I li- yeah i and i like it when the email that is titled new game ideas yes oh so this now. is from rebecca from from florida i've never heard of where that co- country is <laughs> Um, uh, sounds familiar. Some kind of foreign country. Hmm. Flo- what I've learned, dear like pastors, I don't know what language it is, but this this uh, lady here, uh, Rebecca, sounds very good at English. <laughs> so in Florida, they must have a very yeah. good English program. You'll have to excuse my obnoxious co-host. Uh, she writes, what I've learned from Table Talk Radio thus far has given me ideas about something uh, old I'd like to hear more about and something slightly new you might like to try. I've learned from you... That as Lutherans, the instruction that we receive from our confessions, especially the small catechism, teach us the faith so that we may be comforted in our consciences and taught how to think and act in the world around us. That is amazing, by the way, to make a comment on this email, that someone has learned that from us. Yeah. Are you with me here? Are you still listening? Yeah. It's important that we learn from our catechisms when we live by it and use the information and comfort and the comfort it gives in time of need. I'm wondering if the same thing or something similar can be said of the hymnal. Is there a way we can use the hymns of the church, even portions of the divine service, in different situations? Should the divine service shape our lives and how we think as much as the small catechism? Do the divine service and our hymns teach us the faith, how we ought to think and act in the world, and provide us with comfort? If so, how do they do this? And how may we explore this in a typical Table Talk radio fashion via a game? To give Uh, my two cents, I was thinking you could make a super game out of Don't Forget the Stanzas to Your Hymns. In addition, remembering the rest of the stanza, naming the hymn, you could also talk about which section of the hymnal it's in and why, what comfort, etc., etc. As for the divine service, maybe during a segment of an episode of Table Talk Radio, you could talk about how we should consider a particular part of it. For example, you could discuss why we we begin with confession and absolution before the service of the word. Where in Scripture and in church history we find the Kyrie, Nuptiminus, or Benediction. And maybe you could give advice for how we ought to think about it when we come across it during the service and what comfort and instruction we can receive from it. I guess what I'm saying is be a little more like issues, etc. <laughs> Only pithier and witty. All right, we'll do our Love best. Love your show. Keep up the awesome work. Rebecca from Florida. Man, all these international. We're like a mission outreach. Yeah, we are. I think this is great. So this game is called... Well, it's kind of, we instead of doing uh, don't forget the stanzas, we're going to do a little bit of Bible bee. Uh so this will be uh liturgy Bible bee where we'll name a couple of sentences and then one sentence and then one word from a particular part of the liturgy and then we got to name it and then we got to talk about how it could be comfortable to us okay. and instructive. I got the first one for you, ready? Okay. Round 1 of liturgy bee. I'm going to 
We give thanks to thee, Almighty God, that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Hey, I like you got the old hymnal there. Mm -hmm. That's nice. I was afraid that you were going to quote some part of the liturgy from like divine service setting seven and a half or whatever. (laughs) I'm going to be like, what? I don't know. All I know is it's from the book of Revelation. But that's where all that stuff comes But you didn't do that. You went old school, which I appreciate. And you quoted from the, what is the post-communion collect? That is correct. For 500 points. That's what I'm guessing. Now, that's a, okay, this, that, this is a beautiful portion of the liturgy. It's one of the few uh, modern parts of the liturgy. And by modern, I mean it was written by Martin Luther when he was uh, reforming the order of the Mass. And it encapsulates a key theological point that Luther used to make, especially from First John. And he said, basically, the Bible can be understood to say have two doctrines. And, and that is, how do we have faith towards God and how do we have love towards the neighbor? And he takes that understanding of all of theology and he rolls it into this prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's Supper to where we first thank God for the Supper, for the body and blood of Jesus, for the promise of the forgiveness of sins. And then we ask that this great gift would um, would increase in us faith and love, faith toward God and fervent love toward one another. And then it has the minor doxological ending, which all liturgical prayers have uh, through Jesus Christ, lives and reigns with the Father and the Son, or the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Uh, amen. Nice. Now, I think that, you know, sometimes churches have this kind of silly thing. I don't know if it's wrong. I just kind of think it's silly. But, like, you leave the parking lot, and it says you are now entering the mission field. Will that strike you, know, you as that cheesy for some reason? It does a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, again, I don't know if it's wrong. It's just kind of eye-rolling. I'm thinking about all the people in Florida that you're upsetting right now. <laughs> every church has that. I mean, I don't know how someone... It's one of those things like, who... I mean, someone thought this was a good idea, and, and you're like, okay. But then when everybody thinks it's a good idea, you're like, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Anyway. You we have to get over it. Um, I got to get over it. Um, but there's a way that the liturgy has this way of sending us out from its midst. And this is one of them. In other words, what is my life... What shape does my life take? As I, uh, as I leave this place, and the answer is, well, this is the shape of my life. It's, a, it's I live in faith toward God and in fervent love toward my neighbor. I've always seen, um, I've always seen this prayer to be akin to Jesus speaking to the woman caught in adultery, uh, "Go and sin no more," because we, I mean, oftentimes we're told that um, this is this like two stage Christianity that first. You know, you, you ask Jesus into your heart, and then second, you become a better person or a better Christian. And you know, it's like Jesus, you know, forgiving the woman and then saying, go and sin no more. That as, as if the forgiveness that she is given is now contingent upon her ability to go and sin no more. But rather, I think that we would see Jesus saying, hey, you're a forgiven one, and now you have the duty to go uh, serve your neighbor. And this isn't in the sense that my... Uh, my salvation or my uh, continuing of being a Christian is based upon the law, but rather it's that the new forgiven creation wants to serve the neighbor, um, 
won't do so perfectly, but wants to. And so we have received, I mean, there's a, there's a vertical and a horizontal element to this prayer that uh, having been refreshed by the sacrament, I now all the more, because he first loved us, want to go love my neighbor. Yes, that's exactly right. And now it becomes a daily prayer, too. It's not just a prayer in the service, but now every day when I, when I wake up, I'm praying that the Lord would increase in me faith towards him and love for my neighbor. That it's, it's a definitional sort of thing. It's a whole life sort of thing, which is exactly what you said. Okay, so um, does this go back and forth, or am I supposed to give you more entries? Yeah, I got one for you. Okay. Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And I'll just translate that real quick. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. That's for people who have trouble with English. <laughs> According to thy word, for my—see <laughs> that? See what I did there? Yes. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Is that it? Uh, there's more, but that's all you get, man. The last part would <laughs> I, give it away. I'm I sure. gave you the, <laughs> I gave you the doxological ending, but whatever. Um, okay, so uh, I think this sounds a lot like the gospel according to Saint Luke, um, but unfortunately, we're not playing Bible B. We're playing liturgy B. Um, so, uh, so this comes up in Luke when this man named Simeon was told that he would see the Lord's Christ before he dies. And then the little baby Jesus is placed into his arms, and he says, "All right, now I can die a happy man. I've, I've, uh, I have seen salvation, not only a light, um, not only salvation for Israel, but also a light to the Gentiles. Um, that salvation. And I have a theory on this, Pastor Wolfmiller, because in Luke's yeah, gospel, yeah. Uh, it says that Mary and Joseph are astonished at what happened. And I, I wonder if the reason they're astonished, because look." Uh, we just saw the whole birth thing, you know, born of a Virgin Mary. That's pretty miraculous. And the whole angels and the shepherds and the wise men, all this has taken place. And now they come to Jerusalem, give give their son to Simeon, and they're astonished at what he says. Well, what did he say that was so astonishing? I think it's the light to the Gentiles that they're astonished at. That they, they figured that, that Jesus was the Messiah for Israel, but now they're hearing in the mouth of Simeon that this is also the light unto the Gentiles, this, the Savior of the entire world. That's just my personal yeah. theory. Oh, that's great. So oh, I, think, I, love it. I, I think that this is the nuke de menace, which uh, means now depart, for those of you in Florida. Um, and, <laughs> uh, so Maybe they speak Latin this, in Florida. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> But, but this this is fascinating because um, and this is I think another Lutheran innov- innovation that they took this uh, this word of Simeon and then placed it after the Lord's Supper to to borrow the words from Simeon who said now that I have partaken of the Lord's Supper have partaken Christ Himself I can now I mean nothing greater can fulfill this moment right here I mean if you had a That's bucket right. list this would cross off everything on your bucket list. I can now sure. depart. I mean, Simeon is the old man, and he holds Jesus in his hands. But now we realize that when we leave the when we leave the altar, that we've held Jesus in our mouths, just as just as Simeon did, and even something greater because Simeon held Jesus as a child. We now we hold the body and the blood that was broken and 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 shed for us uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. It's just astonishing. And now we're like you said, we're ready to die. Well, we need to hit a break. The score is. 503.4 to 503.5. Pastor Gigline's in the lead, and we have two more rounds of Name That Part of the Liturgy right after this. Don't go away.
I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Blue Manchu. And I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. It's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. That's right. The score is 503.4 to 503.5. I'm in the lead. Two rounds left of uh, Liturgy B. And uh, Pastor Wolfman, do you, uh, you have a story about the Nuke de Menace or something? I, I do. I, this is the most amazing, I think, deathbed I've ever been to. Is I went to see a man who was dying a number of years ago, and we were singing uh, some parts of the liturgy, and I was singing the Nuke de Mentis, and he died. Just right there in the middle of the Nuke de Menace. Huh. Uh, and I and I thought the family's going to be mad. They're like, "What are you singing that for?" <laughs> but they were they were astonished as I was. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. So that's how I want to go. Right after the Lord's Supper in the middle of church, we know, "Lord, now lettest thou thy servant departed peace." Which I used to think. Now it's time to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, but I understand now. <laughs> it means now it's time to go to heaven, uh, and. and just fall over dead. Now, now, this is the the point of this game, though, is when might we use these parts of the liturgy in our own lives? I heard a beautiful story. In fact, Jonathan Fisk was telling this story the other day about his wife Meredith, who sings parts of the liturgy as lullabies to their children as to, as to put them to sleep, which I think is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard and wonderful. And to realize that these parts of the liturgy. That at least, like for here, when we consider the Numenus, that this is preparing us to die. Uh, it's preparing us to to fall asleep in Christ. And so, when do we sing the Nook Numenus? Well, we sing the Nook Numenus when we're on our deathbed and we're getting ready to go and see the Lord. Yeah, that's I, a a perfect example of how we use the liturgy. I had a member uh, here at the church whom you know, um, Father Davies. Um, who left the, well, I think he didn't necessarily leave as much as he was kicked out of the Episcopal Church, uh, comes over to a Lutheran congregation and uh, ends up um, ends up getting Alzheimer's. Now, do you remember? Because you were visiting here one time, and we, we mm-hmm. went and had communion together, and the guy knew the liturgy still. Did you? <laughs> he's, oh, yeah. He's singing the Nuke de Menace. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, uh, that... Uh, that was the uh, uh, the confession that was in his heart that was saying, I am now ready to depart. I don't even know who you are, who these two weirdos are, but I am ready to depart in peace. That's great. It, it just engra- the liturgy engraves these great canticles on our heart, and it makes us ready to live like we had in the post-communion collect. It makes us ready to rejoice like we have in the... Glory be to the Father. It makes us ready to die, like we have in the Nuc Dominus. It it makes us ready to face suffering and tragedy, like we have in the Curie. That these parts of um, uh, that the, the, these parts of the liturgy are a great, great training for us, uh, in our in our living and in our dying. All right, you ready for the next round? Oh yeah, here it is. 
The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Hey, I, I think this is great because you you know how you pointed out how the last one was from Luke and I, this one is from Numbers and it it you know what I mean basically playing liturgy B could be playing Bible B because most of the parts of the liturgy are just parts of the Bible. Uh, but this part that you name here, I'm going to say, what is the benediction? You're asking the question, or is that your answer? That's my answer. Oh, what okay. is the benediction? <laughs> yes, I didn't know we were playing Jeopardy, but yes, you're correct. Well, just, you never, been, you never know. You just, just to be safe, you know, <laughs> play as safe. I answer all things in the form of a question, just in case I'm actually playing Jeopardy. Just in case, that's right. <laughs> you're right. It is the benediction. Hey, hey, benediction, Numbers chapter six. This is what the words that the Lord gave to Aaron to bless the people, and we have it. We have a couple of different benedictions. We you have a um. And uh, this is what's called the Aaronic benediction, because it was given to Aaron. We have the Apostolic benediction, the end of, I think, Second Corinthians. Uh, the uh, How does that go? Um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you always. The difference is normally the Aaronic benediction is used when the Lord's Supper is there, and the Apostolic benediction is used when it's not. Uh, and And here the Lord, we begin in the Lord's name. And now we have the Trinitarian blessing at the end, that the Lord establishes his blessing to us. So this beginning of the service and the end of the service where we make the sign of the cross and we hear the Lord's name is also how we begin our day and we end our day, uh, rejoicing in the Lord's blessings. Nice. Uh, okay, I'm ready for round two. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Okay, this is the um, the Agnus Day, and it comes. Uh, see, I always get this. Uh, Agnus Day. Yeah. So the Sanctus is the one that comes before the words of institution, and then there's words, words of institution, and then there's the Agnus Day. So the Agnus Day, right after the words of institution. You're right. Ah, wonderful. Now, this is going to come from John's gospel. Well, maybe from a couple of different parts. But uh, John the Baptist, who uh, is pointing to Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think it's fascinating. This is one of those ancient parts of the liturgy that is not a Lutheran innovation, but one that goes back to the very early church. And it's significant, I think, that... The first Christian said, all right, guys, it's like they had a, a smoky room um, meeting. And it's like, all right, guys, um, what Bible passage would confess that Christ is present? What, well, you know, the Lord's Supper is right there uh, on the altar. How about what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, so that Christ is uh, present among us in, with, and under the bread and wine. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, it's 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 amazing how the first Christians used these texts to confess what was going on. Yep, that's right. That's right. And 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 this is a hymn that we carry with us. I mean, talk about, you know, if you're going to use a hymn for a lullaby or something to give comfort, I mean, this is it. O Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. It's like an expanded grace-filled Kyrie uh, that we use to rejoice in the Lord. All right, you ready for your round three? Um, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, you're sure? Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. 
All right. Now that's a uh, that's a good one. That's what we call the Pax Domini. All these, you know, every part of the liturgy except for one has an old Latin name. This is the Pax, the peace, uh, and it is after the words of institution. And it, the words come from, well, they come from all over the Bible. The angels are always saying this, but especially Jesus after the resurrection says, peace be with you. And so the peace of the Lord uh, is there. But it's especially that um, that the peace of the Lord is raised up because it's there in the chalice and in the bread, the body and blood of Jesus, so that the peace of the Lord is being demonstrated. And, and so this declaration of peace between heaven and earth is manifest to us in the supper. So that we, you know, we, we're always threatened in the world by a lack of peace. And so this is a beautiful word for us to meditate on every day. The peace of the Lord is with me, especially when, when people are angry with us, when we're tempted to anger, that we rejoice that we have peace with God. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's not like this hippie kind of a peace, you know, like, um, peace, man. <laughs> it's... It's the kind of peace that comes after war. The right. uh, the, the peace, so there's a, a peace treaty, a, a peace agreement, and so that there's been a declared peace between us and God, and that's, that's what's being declared. And typically, the uh, pastor then will, will hold up, or I point to because it's awkward for me. Uh, we, we're, we're getting a chalice soon, but right now we just have the individual cups. And it's really awkward to me to hold this little thing up. Um, but anyway, uh, so the pastor will either hold up the the host and the wine, the, the body and blood of Christ, and, and the point is here that you're connecting the peace of the Lord in the Lord's Supper, so that because of the the uh, be, because of Christ who is here now with us, we have peace uh, in the Lord. Yep, that's right. Okay, so uh, I think it's your turn to give me a verse. All right, you got how much time do we have? Uh, two minutes. Ready? One word clue. You'll be able to get it, though, from one word. Ready? Mercy. Ha! Uh, so I think you said just a second ago that all of these liturgical uh, parts have uh, Latin phrases except for one. And I think this is the one. Um, because this one is not from Latin, but actually from Greek. And um, it is the Kyrie. Is that right? You're right. So, Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Yeah. So here, um, th- this comes uh, right after the, the intro. And so here we have uh, gathered um, together. We have prayed together. And now we're asking for the Lord to hear our prayers. And uh, like the blind men who are crying out to the Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And this is this is a nice thing to a nice little prayer to carry with you during the day too, um, you know. We Christians uh, pray without ceasing, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have you know, wordy prayers going on all the time. But the prayer could be as simple as, "Lord, have mercy; Christ, have mercy; Lord, have mercy." That's right. So we have these two prayers always ready to go. When something we see something terrible, Lord, have mercy. When we see something wonderful, God be praised. All right, that'll conclude this game of uh, Liturgy B, and let's take a look at the scoreboard. I don't know exactly what it is, but I have come out one-tenth of a point ahead of Pastor <laughs> Wolfeeler. This is amazing. From like a, Well done. Like the half-court shot at halftime won the game. So. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like all the comfort you can achieve in life and in death from singing over and over the praise songs that you learn. Oh, boy. <laughs> thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk uh, Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor that's before listening Wayne to Table Talk game Radio. Right there, yeah. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, that's a burn, great game. hallucinations. We should play that game every show Psychosis. for the rest of our lives. We should have Fort Wayne grads versus St. A sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.